Hi everyone, I'm Sue Langada and I'm a real estate copywriter and host of this podcast, Real Estate Right. I meet people just like you every day, selling your homes, renting a property going up for sale, frustrated with not knowing the information that you need to make you that little more savvy in your real estate transactions. I'm here to help you. Help you learn before you get to that stage of meeting me to write your copy. Help you know how to make the journey that little bit easier. Stay tuned as we have an awesome podcast today to get you more in the real estate know. There are several versions of timber floors out there, but what's the best? What's real timber? What's vinyl that looks like timber? And what does engineered timber really mean? What about colour, the softness of the wood and the texture? It's all so confusing. Today, we are going to find out what you need to look for when buying a home with timber floors or sourcing new flooring for your renovation or new home. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langda. Real Estate Right is making more buyers, sellers, renters, and investors more savvy in their real estate transactions. With a whole library of information to listen to, there is a podcast episode right for you when you want to know now. Cameron Sharp is the owner-operator of Sharp's Floor World in Cranbourne and Mornington and has been running it for 20 years. Cameron sells carpets, floating floors, vinyls, and he and his team are very passionate about timber flooring. Welcome, Cameron. How are you? Very well, thank you. That's good. Now, how did you get into flooring? Uh, truthy, my, I think my life was a little bit of a crossroads. Yes. Um, I saw an ad. Uh, I've always loved doing up houses, and mm-hmm. uh, I actually did a, a full real estate license at school, mm-hmm. and uh, discovered that actually wasn't for me. After yeah. All that time at school. Yes. Um. So saw an ad. You know, company card, generous salary, etc. Uh, to go work in a flooring shop. Yeah. Uh, wasn't all the. <laughs> it was made out to be, but I enjoyed it and found I was quite good at it. Yes. And uh, it went on from there. Yeah. Sounds like a good way to get into a, into a job. Now, when buyers inspect a property, you can come across a variety of different timbers and timber floors. How can we identify, for instance, solid timber floors? What what makes the difference between hardwood and softwood? Um, yeah. What are some examples of hardwood and softwood? Well, pretty much everything is a hardwood. You generally don't use a, a softwood. Mm. Um, there is a system called the, the Janker system. It's a rating scale. Okay, yeah. Um, where there are attributed points, yeah. you know, 10, 15, 16, 18, yeah. something. You may have heard, for example, Jarrah or Spotted Gum yes. in Australia. Yeah. Rates very highly on the Janker system, mm-hmm. and it's quite high. Something like Tasmanian oak is still a genuine hardwood, but it's yes. on the softer side. Okay. Same as American oak and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, it can these days be very difficult to tell if it's a floating floor yes. versus what we might deem an engineered floor yeah. versus an actual, uh, what we might call a hand-polished uh, solid floor. Yes. One of the ways, obviously, is to 
jump down and whack it yeah. with your knuckles. Mm-hmm. If it's a, a solid floor, generally it's you know it, it's got a much more solid yeah. uh, feel to it and yeah. it has a thud rather than a, a hollow doink. A ho- yeah. Um, so, for instance, older houses like Victorian homes, they generally have what we call the Baltic pine floorboards, which are your soft mm-hmm. woods. Um, and even sometimes in the but 70s. Baltic is the minimum standard for a genuine hardwood. Basically, oh, is it? Yeah. Is it? It's still considered a hardwood, the Baltic. Yeah. Okay, because I from would. My, from my experience and yeah. knowledge, I'm pretty sure Baltic is basically the minimum standard for a hardwood that rates still rates as a hardwood. Okay, so I went to a house yesterday in the that was built in the 70s, and it had genuine pine floors, mm-hmm. and you could see the dents and the um, you know the stilettos mm-hmm. have gone through and all that sort of stuff in and the, and the seat chairs. Um, you could just see the indents in mm-hmm. the floors everywhere. And I'm just like, oh, wouldn't you have been better just to have polished that back and, and you know, give it – but it no. probably wouldn't have come out, would it? No. And being too overzealous with things like that yeah. often just ruins the floor and yeah. just compromises the lifespan. Mm. Um, it's probably really important to remember about being too fastidious with the timber floors. Yes. The most important – Oh, there's a lot of factors, but yeah. uh, the most important part in terms of durability is if you imagine a traditional tongue and groove locking mechanism yes. where your, tongue's, your, your tongue will sit out and yeah. the groove locks in, yes. that thickness on top of the groove mechanism, mm. that thickness is the most important part. So if you keep on sanding it thinner and thinner, oh, yeah. so... Um, it's just going to lose th- the integrity of it. Well, I think for memory, the VBA, the, the building code, yes. stipulates that the tongue, top of the groove mechanism, um, the minimum it can go down to is about 2.8 millimetres mm-hmm. before it loses its structural integrity. Yeah. So often you might go into a house and you can feel the floor <clears throat> is quite springy. Yes. And you can see some crimping along the joints. It's probably been sanded so much that that groove mechanism is losing its integrity. It's, mm. So continually re-sanding a floor for some knocks and scratches is not always a great idea. Yeah. And I've seen some fantastic-looking floors that had the knocks and bumps and scratches, mm. but they've been given their traditional 10 to 15-year single coat yes. just to refresh the finish. Yeah. And they still look fantastic. Um, the coating has still got great integrity, except that underneath you can see those knocks and scratches. Yeah. It's a distressed look. Yeah, we'll say that. <laughs> okay, so now how can we identify, say, laminate floors? Is there actual timber in laminate floors or are they just looking, those usual looking cheap and nasty things? Well, the core of it, you, some people call craftwood, HDF, yes. high-density fibreboard. Yeah. Um, the surface is, uh, Laminex is a registered name, but for want of a better word, Laminex or laminate, yeah. just like a kitchen bench top, mm-hmm. only a lot stronger. Yes. Um, and essentially it's just an image. Yeah. So. It just looks like timber, but it's not really. The best ones these days are looking more and more and more like timber. Yeah. Because it comes down to the resolution, the quality of the image. Mm. And manufacturers are also making what we call registered embossed plates. Okay. That means that you might see a grain and not structure. Yes. And they've also made a pressing plate. Oh, wow. To press it into the surface of the laminate. So as it's constructed, you run your hand along a laminate and feel the knot and it's there. Yeah. Um, But they're not your sort of... uh, They're not... You're cheap. Yeah. 15, 20, And like you'll you'll start seeing, for instance, scuff marks in that, won't you, in say five or so years? Uh, Not necessarily. Okay. Um, 
again, uh, laminate floating floors are like everything. Yeah. Uh, the old rule is you get what you pay for. Mm. Um, you know, our industry is not that heavily regulated, and I'd love it. I'd love more regulation. Yeah. Because I do think it's important for consumers to understand what they're getting. Yes. And often because of that lack of regulation, we don't have a, a common point of reference. Mm. Um, some say, well, the, there are rating systems, uh, what we, um, we do call it the AC system, so AC 2, 3, 4 or 5 with laminate. Yeah. So if a laminate is rated AC 5, it's commercial heavy grade. Okay. Um, but <clears throat> they're not your teepees. Um, for example, there's a great product on the market called Quickstep Impressive Ultra. Mm-hmm. Um, it is incredibly realistic looking. It's mm-hmm. got a fully waterproof surface yeah uh, it's a registered emboss it's got all your bells and whistles yeah you could you know we have it at the entrance to our shop it's indestructible it's from fantastic it. yeah but it retails for into the 60 bucks a square meter Ouch. just for the product Ouch. Um, is it worth it absolutely for the right environment yeah because if you're a family that you might wear your shoes in the house you've got dogs you've got yeah. kids it might not be practical to have a real timber floor yeah um, for those reasons you mentioned before about scratching and denting, mm. then you'll have a fantastic-looking, really tough and hardy floor. Yeah. And if you compare that cost I just gave to a quality-engineered timber, yeah. it's still a lot less. Yeah. Now, floating timber floors, are they different again to laminate? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, floating timber, traditionally, you'd refer to as engineered okay. timber. So the, the, and they yeah. have a timber surface. Um, it's usually a few layers, isn't it? So there's the real timber on top, mm-hmm. then there's like the core is core. made of uh, generally made of a, a species called havea, yeah, which is quite rubbery. Mm-hmm. And from memory, um, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, um, the havea tree uh, they use the sap to make latex. Okay, but the tree itself is quite soft but pliable, mm-hmm. so it makes a good core because it has um, some flexibility to yeah. it. And you have your top surface or wear layer, yeah, um, and the the, the top wear layer, if you will, of solid timber yeah. can be anywhere from one or two millimetres to yeah. four or three, four or six millimetres. Yeah. And some, some are obviously able to be sanded back, mm-hmm. but the ones that one millimetre, maybe not. No. Yeah. Um, and I'd argue at that point too, Yeah. Uh, this is a big selling point people say about all your engineer timbers and beautiful oaks and yeah. and uh, they might have a three or four or five or six mil wear layer. Yeah. Um, and get marketed and so what well, that's great you can sand this back to raw if it yeah. gets too badly scratched what you don't know is that by the time they put a stain and highlight the grain and all these yeah. things to recreate that it can be anywhere from 60 to 100 bucks a square meter for a professional polisher Ouch. so you might as well put new ones in yeah th- this happens a lot people <laughs> um will you have a, a lovely engineered timber yeah something would have a stain through it that's got a real uh, you know, uh, at the moment, everyone's lo- you know, like a life. The European uh, Everyone's loving the sort of a, a, their take on the Hampton style. Yeah, the French oak look. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to recreate that is very expensive. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, and and generally those engineered oaks or engineered floors are sitting on a concrete slab, aren't they? So there's like a a bit of a, a foam underlay or something. Yeah, is that you, right? yeah. Two mil. Um, yeah. Up to some of them, are, I think three and four. Maybe even five, yeah. Um, but you, you don't. The the concept isn't to go that thick. It's to no. get something that's got uh, yeah. good acoustic rating. Yeah, but that's the whole concept of the floating, isn't it? That it's sitting on a like a rubber mat kind of thing. 
mats mm. on the on the concrete slab, yeah. or even a, you might have GP yellow tub. Yeah, yeah, that too. Mm. Um, just but it's sitting on something. It yeah. is worthwhile noting. And this is something that's come up a lot, mm. um, and something that I, I am I think is a real frustration too. Mm. Floating floors, in my experience, were invented to give people access to. Um, lovely timber floors without going through this huge acclimatisation and polishing process yeah. and also to cure some ills with a not less than perfect subfloor. Mm. And when they came out, um, you know, we had manufacturers stipulating that the floor had to be levelled to within, you know, five or six millimetres mm. per running metre. We now have manufacturers that are saying, well, we now want our subfloor to be levelled within two millimetres per running metre. Oh, wow. Uh, and they will avoid the warranty. So now we have an ongoing battle of, uh, you know, you get an occasional creak or squeak. Yeah. And the manufacturers say, not our problem. And, mm. you know, uh, so we are finding it more and more prevalent that we're having to do subfloor repairs and, yeah. you know, and levelling or grinding works. Yeah, which is frustrating. I'm well, sure. it yeah. just means, you know, uh, someone might come into our shop and say, look, I really want to change my carpet yeah. for a beautiful engineered timber, but we can't see underneath because the carpet's there. Yeah. So we have to put a clause in to say, look, it doesn't include subfloor repairs. Yeah. Um, and generally we should have a pretty reasonable idea, but mm. again, you can't whack a straight edge down on carpet. And no. So that's a, a frustration yeah. because you pull it up and sometimes our installers show the customer and it might need quite a bit of work. Yeah. So obviously older houses like period homes and all that stuff, they, the subfloor is actually the floor. It's the... Uh, might be strip um, timber, might, might be GP be, yellow time. Mm. Yeah, it might be. Um, no, but what I'm saying is that things like the old Baltic pine boards, that mm-hmm. is the floor. Mm. That, you know, it's there is no Correct. E- extra bit on top mm. of it. So in terms of people buying homes and things like that, for... Insulation purposes and all that sort of stuff, you're better having something which has a subfloor than a non subfloor because you're always going to get those drafts from coming up underneath if hmm. if it's the solid timber. Hmm. Hmm. There, are, there are very few engineered timbers that would be rated uh, good enough to be a structural floor. Yeah. Meaning they need to go on some sort of a subfloor. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good to know. Now, how about the vinyl hybrid floors? That's sort of becoming a bit of a buzzword at the moment, I think. Look, they're a fantastic floor. They is that are like not... that Quick Step stuff that you were talking about before? No, Quick Step is a brand. Oh, okay. Um, uh, hybrids are a very different animal again. Okay. Um, and when they came out and were marketed, uh, we were quoted all sorts of fantastical. Uh, look, it can get a bit technical, so you'll have to butt in if I'm getting too technical. That's okay. The key with a floating floor, if it's not stuck down, yeah. It can expand and contract. Yeah. A, a traditional timber or timber-type product and laminates perform like timber, mm-hmm. whether they expand or contract is related to moisture, yeah. which is why we leave an expansion gap around the edge and mm-hmm. all those sort of things. Hybrids have the same thing, but hybrids, the core is a stone polymer or a limestone polymer composite, Yeah. Um, and your surface, most of them, is vinyl, mm. uh, polyvinyl chloride. So it's a polymer vinyl-based. Yes. So the dimensional stabilities, and again, a lot of what I say here also comes from my own experience. Yes. The dimensional stability of plastics is more temperature-related yeah. than moisture. Yes. So uh, I went to a really fantastic seminar 
uh, delivered uh, by a chap and started off as a hybrid. Yeah. All the latest type. And what we found is hybrids still, still do grow. So you have to be careful of the temperature mm. that you're installing the hybrid because if they, we found them wanting to grow and shrink yeah. in temperature variation. And uh, from our own experience, um, we didn't have a lot of failings, but we had a few. Yeah. The common theme we found was that they were bigger open rooms with lots of windows mm. and the subfloor was always either timber or GP yellow tone yeah. because that will warm up. Yep. Whereas concrete's quite cold. cold. Yeah. So hybrids were marketed as the greatest thing. They are yeah. fully waterproof all the way around. Yeah. Which is a great big selling point. Definitely. But again, everything comes with its caveats. Mm. Um, it's still a floating floor. Mm. And now I'd ask you, why do we need a, f- a floating floor that's waterproof all the way around? If it's going in a bathroom and water gets over the edge and underneath it, yeah. well, how are you going to get it out? Yeah. And, so. if, and if it sits there, it has the capacity to end up as mould. Yeah. Which no is bad. Wants. Yeah. Mm. Now, obviously, the higher end, we're looking at parquetry floors. Where, you know, I've, they're pretty big chunks of timber, aren't they? And lay that like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, you can do chevron, herringbone, yeah. uh, brick pattern. You can do – the great thing about uh, parquetry is you can – your design is limited to your capability and the engineering skill. Yeah. Um, generally, the blocks come 14 or 19 mil thick. Yeah. And you generally get a standard where the width is divided into the length. Yeah. Gives you that capacity. You might have seen a brick one where you've got, say, uh, uh, generally it's four stacked one way. Yes. And then four stacked yeah. in a 90 degree turn. But because the width divides into the length, yes. four stacked side on side equals, equals the length. Yeah. Yep, seen that pattern a few times. Mm. Yeah, but it's it like it's it's a timeless floor, really, isn't it? And you usually see it in a lot more up upmarket homes. You know, we do um, Chevron, particularly very French, mm. and we do a lot of floors where we are putting like a walnut type stain. Yes, on a European or an American oak. Yeah, and the walnut grabs uh, grabs the grain really well. Yeah, but doesn't make the timber that dark, but grabs the grain. Yeah, so that when we then clear coat it later. You get this this uh, stunning texture through it, almost. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I understand where you come from there. Um, now, out of all those that we just discussed, can you put them in order of what would be best quality to worst quality? I'm being brutally honest. I don't think that's a fair way to say it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best way to say it? Uh, I would say it really is uh, what suits your customers' needs. Okay. Um, so what would be, okay, how about in price? What would you be looking at price for, say, parquetry? Most expensive. And that would be how much per square metre? Um, should have prepared better. Sorry. Should have studied, Sorry. shouldn't I? Uh, look anywhere from sort of 150 to 300 plus yeah. a square metre. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of price order, you're going for parquetry, then strip timber. Yeah. Um, going downwards, of course. Yes. Uh, as in strip timber solid. Yeah. Then down to um, your lovely engineered timbers, yes. engineered floating timbers. Yeah. Um, and then probably um, down to um, your hybrids and very high end laminates. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the hybrids and laminates really cross over on price. Yeah. And as you keep going down, I mean, the cheapest hybrid. Um, 
is probably about $25. The cheapest laminate is about uh, $17.50. Yeah. So it's a big I, difference between 300 square metres hmm. and $300 a square metre from Park Tree down to... Well, that, those <laughs> that, quotes, remember, are supplied and fitted, whereas yes. what I'm talking there is a, is a material-only cost. Okay, yeah. And I'll be very blunt up front. I'd rather never sell a 15 to $20 a metre hybrid or laminate. Yeah. Just, it's just not worth it. it no. Will, yeah. It will probably only last about what, three or four years or something. Well, we're not a regulated trade. Yeah. So anyone can bring anything from anywhere and say they've got amazing buying power and mm. buying power and that's why their products are so great value. Yeah. And that's the problem with being largely an unregulated trade. Trade, yeah, fair enough. What would be the most hard wearing of all the timber floors if we were to put brand new floors into our home? Well, because the core of your um, <clears throat> your engineers is generally a slightly softer material. Yeah. I think solids are always going to be harder wearing. Yeah. And then it's about picking uh, the hardness of the timber itself. Yes. So I think uh, one of the hardest in Australia is uh, red <clears throat> red or grey ironbark. Yeah. Really tough timber. Yeah. Um, seen that in a few homes. Yeah. Mm. As opposed to um, something like Tasmanian blackwood. Mm. Beautiful looking timber but very soft. And that's why you generally see Tasmanian blackwood in... Kitchens. And furniture. And yeah. furniture, mm. yeah. yeah. Because you don't walk floors. on cabinetry. <laughs> <laughs> Generally. That's good. Two-year-old mm. or something and doing a thing. And it's interesting <laughs> to note um, because with floor polishing, mm. you know, there is actually an Australian standard. It's called AS4786.2. Yeah. And it refers to, you know, viewing a floor from a standing position um, yeah. as what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really take into account the difficulty with each timber. Mm. So, um, and this is a really important thing I think people should consider, the type of coating system and also uh, the type of timber. So you may have heard of brush box. Yes. Very high in acid and oil. Yeah. Um, It's a rotten timber to try and coat. Okay. And people want certain systems and they just don't work on brush box Mm. because the oil is leaching out of the timber, Mm. um, can react with the coating system. Yeah. I mentioned before Tassie Blackwood. Yeah. It's a bugger because it's a very coarse grained. Yeah. And it, it, the way it's sawn, you get a lot of transition of grain mm. and it's very soft timber. Yeah. So trying to run a machine across it, you know, you can, uh, when you're transitioning grain and you've got a soft timber, yeah. it's harder to get that perfect. Whereas, say, um, like Tassie Oak, because it's a, a beautiful plantation, timber is always very flat. Mm. Got a straight grain. Yeah, you know, it's it's easy to work with. Yeah. Mm. So if I want, if I've got lots of pets, what would be my best timber floor if I had a pet? So you want to stick with the timber? I want to stick with the timber. Well, a solid. Solid timber. Yeah. Again, yeah. same goes for what I said before. Yeah. Choose something, but again, the harder timbers are more expensive. Yeah. But that's a decision you have to make. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, I know we're here to talk about timbers, but yeah. I do talk a lot of people. I do advise a lot of people, but for, for their situation, yeah. that they might be better off with a commercially rated laminate or even vinyl plank. Okay, yeah. For for so in terms of timber flooring, a, a vinyl plank might be better than the solid timber. Yeah, because vinyl is adv- advancing in technology. Yeah, the imagery is better again. Yeah, you can get timber look vinyls. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get timber look tiles too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You can. Um, yeah. 
a matter of fact, the interesting point probably goes against the grain of the topic for today. Yeah, that's but okay. <laughs> vinyls is for us in our business the fastest growing um, yeah. area product. Of, of product. Yeah. Um, it's now, uh, in terms of the increasing in percentage of sales, vinyl is the one because it's stuck down. Yeah. So it really doesn't move, it's quiet. Yeah. Um, with all the floating floors, you need your expansion to be covered by a Scotia or yeah. quad or a skirting board. Mm-hmm. Um, vinyl doesn't require that. Okay. You can just turn up, prepare the floor. It's easy. Trim it in and you don't need any of those quad accessories. Yeah. And because vinyl planks are laid in individual strips, repair is actually very easy. Yeah, I'm sure. In terms of wet areas, what would be the best one? Obviously, we've talked about waterproofing with a lot of them. Um, kitchens, bathrooms, laundry, what would you suggest would be? Your- if you've got a wet area and you definitely want a wood look floor, yeah. again, a vinyl will be the best Yeah, because they're waterproof Yeah, and they're warranted for bathroom areas. Um, I've put timber floors in bathrooms Yeah, and we seal them, but as we say to people, we'll warrant the product yeah. in the performance, but if you're calling us up for moisture ingress, we're going to say it's a bathroom. Yeah, bad luck. There's only so much you can do. Yeah, and we can't, it's going to be common sense. And probably this is an important thing to, to, to understand as well. You see the ads on TV, uh, TV for the steam mops. Yes. Well, use a steam mop on a timber floor at your own peril. It's probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah. And the steam mop manufacturers, they bring out new ones with a dial. Oh, you can turn the dial down and then forget it. Yeah. It's not recommended to use a steam mop on a timber floor. So but you, you can, can use a steam mop on a vinyl floor? Yep. Yep. So I don't really recommend them for any type of floor. I just okay. don't think – you don't, don't need it. Yeah. There's plenty of great products out there without having to inject – Hot chemicals. I mean, um, you mentioned a vinyl floor. There's two types of vinyl, homogenous and heterogeneous. Yeah. Homogenous is what you see in the commercial showers in a single layer. Yeah. Heterogeneous is the one where you see the wood look pattern on it. Yeah. That's made in layers. Yeah. So if you're adhering layers together and then injecting hot steam across the top of it, it still can't be great for it. Yeah. Yeah. Get that. Yeah. You're making a lot of common sense. (laughs) We will have a short break and come back with more from Cameron Sharp from Sharp's Full World. You're listening to Real Estate Right, and I'm Sue Langada. We are here today to talk to Cameron Sharp from Sharp's Floor World about the different types of timber floors. What's the best advice to give people who have timber floors in their home? So, uh, Well, maintenance, um, it is important. Uh, the number one thing we see is over-mopping. Yeah. Um, not every floor, no matter what you get, you may have heard the term KD Hardwood. Kiln dried, mm. it's oven dried. Um, it's not oven dried with no moisture though. Okay. The, the trade standard is eight to twelve percent. We'll say ten in the middle. Yeah. Some houses, if you live on the beach, will have higher moisture content. Yeah. And some houses will have lower. But uh, if you're overwetting a floor, yeah, you're going to rehydrate the cell structure of the timber. Okay. Which means the timber will expand. Mm. So, basically, if you've ever been into a house and saw looks like cupping or peaking on the edges, yeah. That's moisture. Yeah. It can be from over-mopping. It can be <laughs> from Just environment. A, yeah, it can be from a, a variety of factors. 
but um, the amount of times, yeah, the amount of times I've been asked to come and look at someone's timber floor, yeah, and it looks good, but it's got these minor issues, um, and we know the size of the board. So, I'll, for example, the amount of times I will walk and put a tape measure down and measure ten boards yeah. so I can get a good average. And uh, I looked at one the other day, for example, and it was 83 by 14, 14 mil thick by yeah. 83 mil wide spotted gum. Yeah. And I got called out because uh, it's got some something leaching out under the coating and there's some compressing at the edges. Yeah. Ten boards measured 84, well, um, 834. Yeah. Which means each board is grown by 0.4 of a mil. It sounds silly. But it's enough to make a difference. But across all the boards, it's causing compressing. Yeah. And we're still to determine what's causing that. But I also uh, moisture tested the timber. Yeah. And the moisture content was about 2.5% higher than when it went down a few years ago. So it is taking on moisture. Um, the client, who's a lovely person, has assured me that it's not over maintenance. Yeah. So I trust them for that. But based on my experience, that's what I do see a lot. People will call me and say, because we do a lot of insurance work, yeah. so we do a lot of flood damage to timber yeah. floors. Yeah. And they will call me and say, we've been referred, what's wrong with our floor? Yeah. And... It's over mopping or, you know. Yeah. So <clears throat> not too much mopping. So recommend a time, uh, like what, mop once a week or and then just the occasional spill? It's not about how much, it's how you do it. Oh, um, how you do it, yeah. One of the best things you can buy um, is those dry static mops. Yeah. And you get some of them that have a canister on the front with a trigger. Yeah. And it sprays out a mist. Yeah. They're the best. They're the best. Okay. Just fantastic. Yeah. Sounds good. Might have to invest in one. No, I don't recommend... Even though the bucket might have a foot ringer on it, I don't recommend uh, a big, big bucket and floppy mop mops. and yeah. too much water. Forget all the cleaning stuff, honestly. Um, don't you need know. to go those Enyo products or anything like that. But, yeah, and if it isn't broke, don't fix it. We've been using metho and water for years. Yeah. It's the trade standard for, for in-between coating as well. Yeah. So just a few caps of metho, so three, four caps of metho or six caps of metho in a, a bucket of room temperature water. Yeah. That's what you need. Beautiful. It's pretty easy, isn't it? If you want to add a smelly scent to, to make get rid it of smell better, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. A bit of lavender oil. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah something like that. Hmm. Sounds good. Are there any specific ways we should maintain any, like, like the vinyl versus the solid? Are they, like, or should we, is it just the same metho and water for everybody? I think the same works for all. I've yeah. got that in my house and I use metho and water. <laughs> yeah. The only thing with the timber floor, they occasionally need a refreshing coat. Yeah. You know, when we do a floor, the most important part is the final coat. Yeah. The one that we really have to make sure gets, you know, when we're polishing yeah. a floor, that's got to be right. Yeah. But looking at your floor and assessing the traffic areas to see whether that's starting to be compromised, mm-hmm. 5, 10, 15 years, whatever, yeah. call a professional in. They'll give it uh, what we call a, a, an aggressive cutback um, and wash it and clean it and vacuum it yeah. and wash it again and then redo the final coat. Yeah. If you do that, that's all you should ever need to do for the rest of the life of the floor. Yeah. It so is it's not really costly. that hard. And it's not that ex- like it's, if it's 10, 15 years, it's not like it's, it's, it's not that often. It's not like it's every couple. No, it's a bugger because you've got to do the whole floor. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you you're can't sectionalise it. You can't, get yeah. your furniture off. And professionals will want, in today's money, minimum 10 to 20 bucks a square metre to do it. Yeah. It's worth it. Um, and floor polishing is a real art form. Mm. 
the best professionals don't have a few thousand dollars worth of equipment. They have twenty thousand dollars mm. worth of equipment, um, and they will want to be paid fairly for their efforts. Yeah. Um, they know the standards and do a great job. And it's not the uh, minutes it takes to do it. It's the years that's created the experience, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, you probably don't have time, but you, I can touch on uh, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable for a polishing job as well. Yeah, oh, if you want to. <laughs> well, there is a standard called AS4786.2. Yeah. Um, it's based around viewing... Um, and this measures the acceptability of someone's done a coding job. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've got several different types of machines and several different types of sandpaper from rough to smooth. Yeah. So given all of that and the different machines to get to the edges and the corners and the body, it's not reasonable to expect that it's absolutely perfect mm. finish like you find on the Duke of a car. Yeah. Um, so the, the AES 4786.2 standard says, viewing a floor from a standing position during daylight hours Without down lights. Yeah. You can't be looking at a reflection of a down light saying, yeah. oh, I can see you. You know. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't want to go into thousands of technicalities, but the basic is uh, if you can see a horrible, what we do, sorry, I'll backtrack. The way you apply the coating is with a quality brush to mm -hmm. paint the perimeter and roll the body like you would a wall. Yeah. What would not be acceptable is to see a horrible, great lap line. Mm. We've gone too far one way, worked back on ourselves, and there's an overlap line. Yeah. Even though it hasn't compromised the integrity, it just doesn't look good. Yeah. It doesn't pass. Um, or a miss where you can see the line yeah. and you've got a big, a big gap where they've just missed it completely. Yeah. Um, that's no good. Yeah. But if I was to come to your house and you said, Cameron, is my floor acceptable? And we walk to one nondescript area along a wall and I can see a very minor brush mark. Yeah. Doesn't compromise the integrity of the coding system. Yeah, uh, and it's really not visible, and you guess, unless you get down and have a really good look, yeah. I'm going to say that would pass. You're being too picky. Yeah. Yes, it's all good. Well, it's good to know. Good, good to know that there's, you know, techniques for the the polishing systems as well. Um, now, when looking at a house to buy, what red flags should come up to tell us that the floor hasn't been professionally laid or is need of replacing? That really is a very loaded question <laughs> and a very <laughs> open-ended one. Traditionally, gaps. Yeah. Um, again, and you can see a lot of gaps in, in floating floors, especially if mm. the weather's changed. Yeah, if, yeah. You see, if you're looking at a floating floor, gaps, but then they could be from moisture. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really tough question to answer because it's a <laughs> fair question. It's, <laughs> you yeah. just don't know what sort of a life that floor's had. Yeah. Uh, from my experience, so we go into homes where the insurance company will say, um, this house has had a minor flood, mm -hmm. we want to replace one section and with new timber, we know what the timber is, that's fine, and polish the whole area and it should match. Yeah. And then we walk around. One of the most common things is um, you might have a GP yellow tongue yeah. and they've stuck down a solid timber on top and polished it. Yeah. Um, Pretty much every timber manufacturer has a standard that says you use a, at least a four to six mil V-notch trowel and yeah. cover the whole subfloor with adhesive. Yeah. And we go out three years later, it's had a bit of a flood and it's really performing badly mm. and we start. Yeah. And you can hear the pitch change terribly. Yeah. And generally, you start to pick up that around every 450 uh, millimetres or four, you know, 45 centimetres, yeah. it's 
doink, 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 thud. Yeah. Doink, doink, thud. And that's because glue is expensive, so they've just run glues, glue lines at half a metre apart yeah. and said that's going to hold. Yeah. Um, that will hold a floor. But no. not long term. No. So then we go back to the insurance company and say we're happy to attempt that. It's only what we call line glued. It doesn't yeah. meet manufacturer's installation standards. Yeah. It's likely to fail when we hit it with a sanding machine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so they have to do the whole floor. Happens a lot too. Yeah, um, I'm sure it would. And uh, a whole other kettle of worms. It's very hard to know what has or has not been laid to, yeah. to cover off in a couple of seconds. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, nearly all floors these days are click. Yeah. So you shouldn't be seeing gaps and things like mm. that. Um, <clears throat> still, some of them do open up on end joints and things yeah, like that. They do, mm. yeah. Yes, they do. Um, now, how long should a timber floor last in your home? So, obviously, engineered floors, what would their lifetime, what, what sort of guarantee would they have? They all have a lifetime. All, all engineers have a lifetime structure. Okay. yeah. Um, the important thing to remember is timber floors aren't an engine. They have no moving parts. Yeah. If we install them and they last for five years and then magically start to fall apart, there is something affecting it that wouldn't be covered under the warranty. Yeah. Like I said, they're not an engine. They don't have moving parts. Oh. So if you maintain your floor correctly and it's laid well, yeah. I would say you should consider it an indefinite prospect. Yeah. Because, again, as I mentioned previously, reapplying an extra uh, finished coat every yeah. 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You're not sanding anything off the timber. No. You're just reapplying that finishing coat. Yeah. It should last you forever. Yeah, sounds good. When you look at these, you know, old period homes, they're, some of those floors are 100, 120, 130 years old. With a lot of gaps too. With a lot of gaps. <laughs> <laughs> and but that, that was, that as was I touched good. on before, moisture causes them. Yeah to expand and contract depending on whether they're taking it on or yeah. releasing it. Yeah. And most of those homes are traditional stump, mm. joist and so the moisture installations. So you can get it from a lot of areas, but because they're on stumps and joists, the moisture can also just release from underneath. Yeah. So you you might have 100 years of seasonal expansion and contraction. Yeah. And, that. and that's what happens. Mm. Mm. Well, thanks so much for being our guest expert today on timber flooring. Cameron. Um, now, how can real estate right listeners can contact you if they are looking at putting in a new timber floor or even carpet for that matter? Uh, well, you can uh, contact us at Sharps Floor World. Mm -hmm. We have an email which is admin at uh, cranburnfloorworld.com.au. Yes. We have a shop in Mornington, um, which is on the virtually on the corner of uh, Nepean Highway and Tyre Road. Yes. The phone number there is 59759222. Mm -hmm. We have another showroom in Cranbourne, uh, which is at uh, a shop one num number 270 South Gippsland Highway. Yeah. And the phone number there is 59968365. Sounds good. So um, thanks again. Now, next week we have our third town taster, this time on Kangaroo Ground, which is on Tuesday, followed by our regular episode on Thursday. This one's a little special where we have Michelle Scott, a well-regarded numerologist, on to talk to us about what characteristics street numbers have in the mystic world. <laughs> now, you'll be surprised how much a street number's energy actually influences your lifestyle, so don't miss it.
Real Estate Right is a real copyright production, hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music, and Francis Morello for his voiceover. Real Copyright is a leading real estate copywriting service throughout Melbourne. If you would like your property copywritten by Real Copyright, please book your copy through orders at realcopyright.com.au. If you would like us to help create more valuable real estate information for the people of Melbourne in this podcast, contact sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.